good morning. I'm glad you're here this morning, and I hope you've noticed that the the, mess, the service this morning has been focused on uh, the Lord's Supper. Uh, we wanted to take the whole service and focus on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and why he did that uh, for us. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and in a few minutes we'll be reading verses 17 through 30. Of 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 30. Uh, before I get started, if you're here and you did not receive a communion packet, raise your hand and maybe there's some men who can get you one. Who did not receive a communion uh, packet? Because you will need those uh, later in the service at the conclusion of the message when we take uh, the Lord's Supper. But symbols, they're a very important part of our world. They're a very important part of our culture. Because a symbol, it's a mark. It's a sign. It's a word that represents an idea, an object, a company, or relationship. And guys, do we have that slide of of logos? I think by looking at these logos, you can easily decide from the culture we live in what company it was referring to. Uh, We all know the Nike swoosh. We all know Target, McDonald's, Shell, Starbucks, Apple. No words, just symbols. Also in our culture, there's something that's very important that's called memorials. There's the 9-11 memorial. I think there's the 9-11 memorial. You have the Washington Monument. You have the the Lincoln Monument. You have the Vietnam Memorial and things of that nature. And why are memorials so important? Because all of these are important reminders of significant events that have happened in the past that have shaped our future that we should not forget. The 9-11 memorial reminds us of what happened on September 11th, September 11th, 2001. And I'm sure most of you can remember exactly where you were. I know I can remember where I was the moment those planes hit the twin, the twin towers in New York City. And they made a memorial for 9-11 and we, and we remember that every year in this country as a significant event that has changed and shaped our world and our culture. In a marriage relationship, rings are very significant. Ring, a ring is a symbol that you are married to someone, that you are in a marital relationship. And more importantly, the ring that I have on is a reminder of the commitment I made to my wife almost 21 years ago. And even though she's an Astros fan, I overlooked that fault. And I'm a Braves fan. And they're up three to one, by the way. Sorry, Astros fan. It's a little contentious in our house. It got a little contentious last night, but I'm glad we're both here this morning and survived. But, but I'm amazed that Joni has put up with me for 21 years. Amen. That was not necessary. But you know what? It made me realize that God can really do anything. But on November 18th through 2000, when I said, what am I doing? No, I mean, I do. Sorry. Little slip. <laughs> I was making a lifetime commitment to my wife that was going to shape the rest of my future. And all kidding aside, this isn't a marriage sermon, by the way, but, but I'm so thankful that I made that commitment. And this ring that I have on my finger is a reminder of the commitment I made to my wife and a symbol that I'm in. A marital relationship. 
I wear another ring all the time that, that came when mom's, when uh, Joni's mom passed away. Uh, we took some money and bought some different things. And one of the things that, that I bought was a ring with a cross on it. And it's a reminder to me of who I am and what Jesus did for me as I go through, through my day. But for us as believers, the cross is the most important, the most significant symbol and memorial of our Christian faith. Why? Because the cross is a memorial as it reminds us of the most significant historical event that has ever happened and will ever happen. And it changed the course of history and it changed the course of eternity. The cross also is a symbol and the fact it symbolizes what Jesus did for us as he laid down his life for us. And there is no one else. There is nothing that that, uh, can do for us that what Jesus has done for us. And one way we as followers remember what Jesus has done for us is by partaking in the Lord's Supper. Some people call it communion. And it comes from a Latin word meaning fellowship. So when we come to the Lord's table as the community of God, as the body of Christ, we are showing that we are in communion with God. And this is a sacred time of fellowship with God where we as believers who put our faith in God and been baptized reflect on the suffering and the sacrifice that Jesus went through and made for us. And the Lord's Supper is one of two ordinances that God commanded that the New Testament church observe. The other is baptism. So this morning, I thought it would be appropriate to share with you the significance of the Lord's Supper coming from 1 Corinthians 11 verses 17 through 30. Paul writes, now in giving the following instruction, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you and in part I believe it. There must indeed be factions among you so that the approved among you come together in one place. It is not really to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One, and one person is hungry while another is drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you look down on the church of God and embarrass those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you for this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. He gave thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Verse 27, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. So a man should examine himself in this way. He should eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you and many have fallen asleep. The first thing I want to share with you this morning is the Lord's Supper is significant because it is a time to repent. It's a time to repent. In verses 17 to 23, Paul doesn't paint a very nice picture of the church at Corinth. In fact, he gives us a picture that the church at Corinth, it was a mess. That there was sin within the church. There were divisions within the church. There was infighting in the church. In the Corinthian church, they were making a mockery of the Lord's Supper. Many saw it just as another meal or a time to get drunk. 
then they were being inconsiderate of others. And in verses 27 and 28, Paul said, If you are guilty of sin, you should not be participating in the Lord's Supper. And in fact, in verse 28, Paul said, Examine yourself. And what is Paul saying? He said, before you take the Lord's Supper, you need to get right with God. Before you come to the Lord's table, you need to get right with God. And if you look at 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul reiterated this to the Corinthian church. He said, test yourselves, examine yourselves, make sure you are of the Christian faith. You see, before we can join Jesus at his table, we need to take an honest look at our lives and get our hearts right with God. And if we want to come into the presence of God, we need to be pure before God. If as believers we want to come into the presence of God, we need to be pure before God before we take the Lord's Supper. And I think of Psalm 51. It was David's psalm of repentance after Nathan the prophet confronted him about his affair with Bathsheba. And I think of how David became clean before the Lord. It's in Psalm 50. Uh, In Psalm 51, I want to read a few verses of what it looks like to to repent before God. Verse 1, it says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion. Blot out my rebellion. Wash away my guilt. Cleanse me from my sin. I am conscious of my rebellion. My sin is always before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned. Done this evil in your sight. You are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self. You teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy of gladness and let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. God, create a clean heart for me. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your spirit from me. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. In verse 17, the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and a humble heart. David's psalm, Psalm 51, is a picture of what it means to come before God. And repent before God of the wrong that we've done to Him. In that psalm, Jesus said, God, I have sinned against you and you alone. We need to recognize that when we sin, we sin against God. We also need to recognize that when we sin against God, we can ask for forgiveness. We can turn away from our sin and we can turn to Christ. And if God can forgive David for what he did... And if God can call David a man after his own heart, after what he did, God can and will forgive us. But here's the key. We have to humble ourselves before God like David did. We have to ask him to forgive us our sins, to wash away our guilt, and to cleanse us from our sin and to give us a pure heart. I think of 1 John 1, 9, when John wrote, If we confess our sins, he, meaning God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And aren't you glad that because of the sacrifice and the suffering of Jesus. That we can come to God and repent and ask for forgiveness. And he's willing to do it. And I don't know what sin is in your life. And you don't know what sin is in my life. But if any of our thoughts. If any of our words. 
If any of our actions or our attitudes do not align with Christ, we must ask God for forgiveness and repent. We need to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. And by the way, this is not about looking at others. This is not about looking at the sins of others and comparing yourself to others. This is about self-examination. This is about looking within. And because you are not to compare yourself to others, you are only to compare yourself to Jesus Christ. And right now, we need to be concerned about our sins and not so much concerned about the sins of others. And when we allow God to examine us, He's going to reveal our sin to us. He's going to show us the need to repent. He's going to cause us to realize the importance of His grace and mercy. And He will create a clean heart in us. And I just want to remind you what mercy and grace are. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Because of our sin and our rebellion against God, we deserve death. We deserve eternal eternal separation from God. But because of God's grace, He gives us what we don't deserve. And I'm sure you've heard this before, but grace can be an acronym standing for God's riches at Christ's expense. Because what Jesus did for us, we can have God's forgiveness. Because of what Jesus did for us, we can have God's peace. Because of what Jesus did for us, we can have God's presence. We can be adopted into God's family. We can be joint heirs of God and and heirs of, of God. We can have eternal life. And we can have hope. And the only reason we can have all those things is because of the grace and the mercy of God. And in a few moments before we take the elements of the Lord's Supper, we're going to have a time of repentance. We're going to have a time of confession where I'm going to ask you to spend just a few minutes alone with God. Asking Him to search your heart. Asking you to repent of the sin that God reveals to you. And then asking Him for your forgiveness we need to understand the significance of the lord's supper is a time to repent the second thing the significance of the lord's supper it's a time to remember verses 23 to 25 of first corinthians 11 says for i received from the lord what i also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed the lord jesus took bread gave thanks broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me In the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Not only is this a time to repent, it's also a time to reflect, to look back on what God has done for us. It's a time to remember his suffering. And when I think of the suffering that Jesus went through, I think Isaiah 53 is probably the best description of the suffering that Jesus endured for us. Listen to Psalm or to Isaiah 53, a few verses, verses 3 through 10. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like one people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. He himself bore our sicknesses. He carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. He was pierced because of our transgressions, trust, uh, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him. We are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned our own way. The Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. 
He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. They made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man at his death, although he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord, meaning Yahweh, was pleased to crush him, and he made him sick. And when you make a restitution offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will succeed by his hand. That is an incredible description of what Jesus went through for you and for me. He was rejected and despised by his own people. The very people he came to save. And think about the pain that he went through. The Garden of Gethsemane before his arrest. He sweated drops of blood due to the intense anguish and the sorrow he was feeling. He was mocked and slapped. He had a crown of thorns that was placed on his head and crushed into his skull. And I'm not talking about rose thorns. I'm talking about thorns that are probably three inches wide and very thick. And you take a a thorn like that and you crush it into somebody's head. It's going to cause a lot of pain and cause them to bleed profusely. But it didn't stop there. Jesus was flogged before he was crucified with a cat of nine tails. The Romans tied him to a stump as they beat him with leather straps. And at the end of those leather straps were shards of bone and shards of broken glass. And every time they hit Jesus in his back with that strap, it ripped into his flesh and, and tore his flesh. To the bone. And then after enduring the flogging. And the crown of thorns. And the mocking. They made him carry his own cross to Golgotha. To Calvary. And there he had nails driven into his hands. In his feet. And while on the cross he was mocked. People were saying things like. Save yourself if you are the son of God. He had to pull himself up just to breathe. Because when you were on that cross, nailed to that cross, the only way that you could survive and get breath was by pulling yourself up. And if you weren't able to pull yourself up, you would die of asphyxiation. You would suffocate yourself to death. The suffering that Jesus endured was so great, there was a new word that came out of Jesus' suffering, and that word is excruciating. If any of you had had excruciating pain, that it means out of the cross, pain out of the cross. But the greatest suffering all that Jesus endured while he was on the cross is found in the phrase that he uttered, Eloi, Elo, Lama, Sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the greatest suffering that Jesus endured because God the Father placed the sins of the world on his own Son And God cannot stand the sight of sin. And he showed his hatred for sin by turning his back on Jesus. And then after God turned his back on his own son because he bore the sins of the world. Jesus had a spear thrust into his side that pierced his heart and pierced his lungs. And there was a mixture of blood and water that rushed out. You know, we may suffer greatly in this world. But we will never experience the suffering that Jesus did. We will never experience the suffering that Jesus did. And when we take the Lord's Supper, I want you to think about the suffering that Jesus went through for you and for me. And He willingly went through that suffering. Jesus said, I willingly lay down my life. He said, no one takes it from me. 
Jesus said, no greater love than this than a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus laid down his life for you and he laid down his life for me. And the suffering that he went through was for us. And may we remember that suffering when we take the Lord's Supper. We also need to remember his sacrifice. Jesus was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And in the Old Testament, God instituted animal sacrifices. And animals had to be perfect. They had to be without blemish. They had to be spotless. And God put the sacrificial system in place so the Israelites could receive the forgiveness of their sins. And even though in the Old Testament the sacrifice of animals, it functioned as substitute for people. And animals died so people could live. Animals were never able to solve our sin problem. As the forgiveness that they gave people was only temporary. The blood of animals couldn't cover the sins of the people for eternity. In Hebrews it makes it very clear it wasn't possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away our sins. So you say why did God design the sacrificial system if the animals couldn't take away the sins of the people? He designed that system as a way of pointing us to the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, Jesus Christ. But unlike the animal sacrifices that had to be offered constantly, Jesus as the perfect Lamb of God, without blemish, without spot, meaning that His relationship with God was not broken because of sin. He was sacrificed once to take away the sins of those who would put their faith and trust in Him. It was a one-time event with everlasting effects. Hebrews makes it very clear that Jesus only had to die once for the sins of everybody past, present, and future. And may we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. And may we remember that His death on the cross was more than sufficient to take care of our sin problem. As he took the wrath of God that we deserved upon himself. Jesus satisfied the wrath of God so we wouldn't have to face the wrath of God. Jesus gave his life so we could be brought from death to life. Jesus took our sin and gave us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And it's only because of the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus that we can have salvation and that the wrath of God was satisfied. And I'm so thankful for what Paul wrote in Romans 5.8 when he said God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we should be thankful that Christ died for us and took the wrath of God that we deserve upon himself. So as we take the Lord's Supper, remember His sacrifice. Remember His suffering. But also remember our salvation. When we take the Lord's Supper, reflect on the moment that you gave your life to Christ. Reflect on the circumstances surrounding it. Think about where you were, who you were with. Think about how God got a hold of your heart and convicted you of your sin. And think about the joy you experienced and how Jesus changed your life from that point forward and how Jesus is changing your life today. I remember very clearly and vividly where I was when I gave my life to Christ. It was in the gym of the church I grew up in at a Sunday night service. 
I was 17 years old, grew up in church all my life. I went forward at nine and thought I gave my life to Christ, but I really didn't. I'd watch the movie at nine of The Thief in the Night. And if you've seen that movie, that will scare anyone into salvation, especially a nine-year-old. But I really didn't make the commitment to Christ. And for eight years, I struggled with that commitment. For eight years, I played the game and acted like I knew Jesus. Do you know what? I had the head knowledge of Jesus. I didn't have, as they call it, the heart knowledge of Jesus. I knew the scriptures. I knew the Bible trivia. was at church constantly as my parents took us to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. We were always there. But it wasn't until the age of 17 at that service Sunday night in that gym when someone did a drama about being left behind and will, this, will your family circle be unbroken in heaven? And God got a hold of my heart. He said, your family circle is not complete. You never really made that commitment to me. You just thought you did. And I had to swallow my pride and went forward and let my pastor know he'd been my pastor for all those years I was in that church. I needed to give my life to Jesus. And my college Sunday school teacher met with me in the kitchen of that gym. And he looked at me and he said, I guess this is a great way to lead somebody to Christ. He said, you know what to do, just do it. And I did. Because I knew what to do. I knew what was missing. But that moment, my life changed. You see, your life isn't changed by the gospel until you give your life to Jesus Christ, who is the gospel. If you want your life to change, you've got to make sure you've made that commitment to Christ. The only way that we can make that commitment to Christ is because of the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus. That's the only reason we can be saved and have a relationship with God. So as we take the Lord's Supper, I want you to remember His suffering. I want you to remember His sacrifice. And I want you to remember that because of His suffering and His sacrifice... We can have salvation. And I want you to think about that moment that you gave your life to Christ. And how it changed your life. The last thing I want to say is the Lord's Supper is significant because it's a time of rejoicing. It's a time of rejoicing. Verse 24. Actually, wrong verse. Verse 20, 26. He says, for often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Because of the suffering of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus. We can celebrate, we can rejoice in what God has done for us. We can rejoice in the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive, that sin, death, and hell are defeated. Don't ever say, well, I don't know what Jesus has done for me. Or Jesus hadn't done anything for me lately. The fact that Jesus saved you from sin, death, and hell is enough. I saw this one time. I wish I would have thought of it. Jesus Christ plus nothing equals everything. All we need is Jesus. We don't need anything else. So think about what Jesus has done for you and rejoice in that. Think about what Jesus is doing for you now. Think about how He is with you. 
Think about how He's given us His Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in the relationship that we have with God. And think about how Jesus has blessed you and think about what He's given you. The fact that you're alive today and here this morning is a blessing. The fact that you're taking the next breath is a blessing. So think about what He's doing for you now. And think about what He's going to do for us. Think about the fact that Jesus is coming again. And when Jesus returns and calls us into his presence one day, as it says in Matthew 26, 29, we will drink the fourth cup of the Passover meal with him. Look at Matthew 26, 29. You'll say there are four cups to the Passover. There are. I'll explain that in just a second. Matthew 26, 29. Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room at the Last Supper before he was about to be arrested and and tried and crucified. And he told his disciples this in Matthew 26, 29. I tell you from this moment, I will not drink of this fruit or the vine until that day when I drink it in a new way in my Father's kingdom with you. What's he talking about? As I said, there are four cups at a Passover. And it goes back to Exodus 6, 5, and 7. And the first is the cup of sanctification. When Jesus promised the Israelites that he would bring them out of Egypt. The second is the cup of deliverance when Jesus told the Israelites, I will free you. And then after eating, Jesus and his disciples drank a third time from the cup of redemption. Meaning, I will redeem you. And this is the cup that we observe when we take the Lord's Supper. It's the communion cup. It's the one which Jesus sets up the new covenant. But the fourth cup is the one that we will not partake of until we're in heaven with Jesus. And it's the cup of restoration. It's the cup of praise. And it means I will take you. And aren't you thankful that one day, because we put our faith in Christ, Jesus is going to take us to be with him in his presence forever. That's an incredible day to look forward to. The fact that Jesus is going to come and fulfill our salvation and our salvation will be complete when we spend eternity in the presence of heaven with Christ and we're able to take of this fourth cup of communion. So why is the Lord's Supper significant? Because it's a time of repentance. It's a time of remembering The suffering of Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus in our salvation. But it's also a time of rejoicing. When we celebrate what Jesus has done in our lives and we look forward to what he's going to do. So as we enter into this time of the Lord's Supper, I want to begin with a time of repentance as I mentioned earlier. I want you to take a few moments. I just want you to ask God to examine your heart. To reveal the sin in your life for which you need forgiveness. Acknowledge your sin. Confess your sin. Confess means that you agree with God that you have sin in your life for what you need forgiven. And then ask God to forgive you of your sin. To cleanse you from your sin. And to create in you a pure heart. As Ms. Sheila plays softly, I'm going to give you a few moments to be silent before God. And then I'm going to lead us in a prayer. Of confession. So just take a few moments and ask God to search you. And take a few moments to be silent before Him. 
and ask him to show in your life what sin needs to be forgiven. Father, I just thank you for this time that we can be silent in your presence. And Father, I pray that you would examine each of our hearts. Father, reveal the sin that is in our lives. And Father, I pray that we would just acknowledge that sin. We would confess that sin. We would ask you to forgive us of that sin and to cleanse us from our unrighteousness. Father, maybe it's the sin of worry. Father, maybe it's the sin of lack of trust or or the sin of disbelief or unbelief. Father, maybe it's the sin of, of coveting or greed or lying. Father, maybe it's the sin of having idols in our lives. Maybe it's the sin of lust. God, whatever it's sin is that we have in our life, God, may we bring it to you. May we lay it at your feet. And may we ask you to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, as you have promised to do. Help us to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus, remembering the suffering that he went through, the sacrifice that he made, was for us so we could be in a right relationship with you. Thank you for this time that we've had before you. Thank you for this time we've had in your presence. And Father, when we leave here today in a few minutes, may we desire to live a life that's pleasing to you and never return to that sin that we confess. We love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us and showing your love to us through your son, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, before we take the elements of the Lord's Supper, I want to remind you of what the elements mean and how the elements have their roots in the Passover in the Old Testament. In Exodus, after each plague, Pharaoh's heart was hardened as the Israelites tried to leave Egypt. And after each plague, he, he decided he wasn't going to let the people go. But then God got his attention with one final plague. That was the plague of the angel of death. To kill the firstborn of every family in Egypt. And to protect the nation of Israel from this final plague. Moses gave the Israelites some instructions. He instructed them to paint the doors of their dwelling with the blood from a lamb that they had killed. 
That way, when the death angel passed over, the angel would see the blood on that house and would spare that house from the plague of the death of the firstborn son. He also instructed them to pack unleavened bread. They didn't have time to bake bread with leaven, so he instructed them to pack unleavened bread for the sudden escape that they were about to make. And then God commanded the Israelites to remember this event of God's deliverance every year with a Passover meal called the Seder meal. And it was to be the night before the festival of unleavened bread began. The festival of unleavened bread lasted seven days. It began the 15th day of Nisan, which for us is between March and April. The unleavened bread was matzah bread. And that represented God's provision for the journey out of slavery into freedom for the nation of Israel. And in Scripture, Jesus made it clear that leaven represented sin. So unleavened bread, it symbolizes a life free from sin. And if you know what matzah bread looked like, and I forgot to get a picture of this. But matzah bread, it has stripes on it. It has holes in it. And what it does, it represents the suffering that Jesus went through. The stripes representing the fact that Isaiah 53, 5 says, By his stripes we are healed. The holes in the bread representing the piercing that Jesus' side was pierced with a spear. So when we break the bread and eat the bread, it's a reminder to us of the sinless life that Jesus lived. It's a reminder of his body that was broken on the cross for us and how because of his suffering we are delivered from the bondage of sin and free in Christ. And in Matthew 26, 26, as Jesus and his disciples were in that upper room before his arrest, they were eating. Scripture says Jesus took the bread and he gave thanks. And I've asked Rob Jones to come up and and say a prayer for what the, red, what the bread represents. And as Rob prays, I want you to think about the suffering that Jesus went through for you. So Rob, would you come up and pray for the bread? Let's pray. Father, we just humbly on our knees just come to you this morning. Father, we can ever, ever understand what you went through for us but father i just pray as we recall jesus's death by giving of himself up as a sacrifice for us in our sins we just praise you for allowing this to happen and we just can't understand lord that even this was a plan even before people were created that jesus would have to come and die for us and lord This is a reminder not only of Christ's death, but the excitement and glorious hope of his future. And Father, I pray each one of us can be excited every day that knowing that he will come back. And that is a promise that will be fulfilled. Father, we cannot imagine what Jesus went through. And Father, especially the separation from you on the cross that morning, that afternoon. And Lord, just taking our sins upon him and giving of his body and the sacrifice he did through that. We can never repay that. But, Father, we thank you so much that you have done this. Thank you for this time of communion, not only with you but with other believers. And may our strength today be 
May our faith be strengthened. Lord, help us to be strengthened. Father, to knowing what he did to be able to do to serve you. And Father, the small sacrifices that we have to make, Lord, is nothing in comparison. But I pray that, Father, anything we do, we'll do it in your name. And uh, Lord, help us to never, ever forget what Jesus has done for us and always appreciate it and be humble enough to 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 never take it lightly. And Lord, we just thank you for this time that we can we can take in the Lord's Supper and especially the bread. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Scripture says after Jesus prayed and gave thanks, he took the bread, he said, Take eat, this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. In the Passover meal, the wine represents the blood of the spotless lamb that was shed by the Israelites and put on the doorpost to save them from death. And in order for them to be saved from death, the lamb had to be killed. Blood had to be shed. And it's the same with us. In order for us to be saved, Jesus had to shed his blood for us so we could be saved from sin. So we could be saved from death. So we could be saved from hell. From us, the fruit of the vine represents the blood of Jesus. The unblemished Lamb of God. It symbolizes the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. In Hebrews 9.22, the writer of Hebrews said, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Matthew 26, 27, and 28. Scripture says Jesus took the cup and gave thanks. I've asked Keith to come and pray for the significance of the cup. And as he prays for the significance of the cup and how it represents the blood of Jesus and what that means for us, I want you to reflect on what the cup means to you and how Jesus shed his blood for you. Keith, would you come and pray for the cup? Let us pray. Our most gracious and kind Heavenly Father, we thank you for the contents of this cup, which represents Jesus' blood that was shed for all sins, so that all who believe in him will have eternal life with you. The contents of the cup depicts the giving of life, a sacrifice of blood which inaugurates the new covenant that was promised in the Old Testament. We thank you, Jesus, that you are seated with your Father on his throne and that you intercede for us through your blood. We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for giving of your blood that we can all have the forgiveness in Christ. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Scripture says after Jesus gave thanks he said drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many 
for the forgiveness of sin. I just want you to remember it's by the precious blood of the Lamb of God that we are brought out of a much deeper slavery than the Israelites. We were brought out of a slavery of sin, a slavery to Satan. And we are saved from death by the suffering and blood of Jesus and brought back into a right relationship with God that gives us eternal life. We're about to sing a song called Jesus Paid It All. As we sing the words of this song, I want you to think about the significance of the Lord's Supper. Continue to think about what it means. What it means for Jesus to have paid it all. Think about what Jesus did and and why He did it. He did it for us. And because of His suffering and His sacrificial death, our sin debt is paid in full. Think about how Jesus, how He paid the debt He did not owe. And how He paid the debt there was no way that we could pay. So let's remember and rejoice in what Jesus has done for us. And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you to give your life to Him today. And I want you to understand that what He went through on that cross, He went through it because of His love for you. And He wants you to come into a right relationship with Him. Or maybe you're here this morning and there are other decisions you need to make. Maybe you need to come forward and join our church. We'd love to have you as part of Red House Baptist Church. Maybe you've given your life to Christ, but you've never been baptized. We'd love to share with you how you can do that. Or maybe you just want to come to this altar and pray. If you need to pray with me or talk to me, I'll be down here in front to do that with you. But I just want you to continue to reflect on what Jesus did for us as we sing Jesus paid at all. Let's stand and sing.